welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. So, here's the thing. Yesterday, I got home, ready to work on the rest of my sermon and I had already diligently outlined it. It was lovely. It was wonderful and organized and fabulous. And I get home and I say, okay, I'm going to work on my sermons. I sit in my bed, got all my stuff, got my big giant books and my notepad and my iPad and my laptop and my pens and pencils and everything else. And I realized that my lovely, fabulous, beautiful outline was sitting on the chair in my office at Ankeny and 13th. So I sit there for a minute and I think about what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so I get up, go to go to Omago, get it, bring it back, work on it, get here this morning, and God is going, yeah, that's really nice. But I'm going to flip that turn upside down, and I know you're expecting to actually get up there at 1035 and say something and go through this sermon that's all timed out and lovely and perfect and wonderful, but I'm kind of there, and this is my gig, just, just so as you know. So we're talking about vocation today, and he just decided, I'm just going to show you what vocation really looks like in this place today. I'm going to show you what it looks like when the people of God are the people of God in the place that God has called them to in a particular moment. So we're doing this series called Belonging to the People of God, and I promise you I'm going to take chunks out of this outline and give it to you, and then I'm going to take other chunks, and then I'm going to do some stuff that's not on the outline and everything because I feel like he's just saying, this is my gig today. I'm going to show you what vocation looks like on God today. So we're in this series called Belonging to the People of God, and we've been looking at what it means to be the people of God in this place, in this moment in time. And we talked about how we are, through the practices, what we do is we participate with God and we get a good look at who God is as we engage in the practices, right? Because we are not in our home, we are rather exiles. And exiles are simply people who are kept from the place that is their home in another place. But we are called as the people of God to still be the people of God where we are. This is not our home here on earth, right? And so we are exiles here, and it is through the practices that we continue and engage with God in our relationship with him and in our relationship with where we are, right? We talk about how the practices themselves are triformational, a term that Rick has coined that simply means that we ourselves are changed through the practices and we become more like Christ and we become closer to Christ and we become more resembled to him, right? Then also we bless our culture. And in blessing the culture, we become a fruitful presence in the world. He tells the Israel, he tells Israel in, the, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, he says that he wants you to prosper where you are, to bless the place that you've been called to, because when they prosper, you prosper. But we're also so, supposed to be a faithful witness. We're supposed to resist the idols in the culture. 
So we do this through our practices, and our practices at Imago are hear and obey. That is our foundational practice. And then we have celebration and Sabbath, and we have generosity, and we have, there's one I'm missing. Don't, we're doing vocation today, but there's another one I'm missing. Hospitality. We did that last week. So we're, we also look at hospitality. So today, we are looking at vocation. And I think that the thing that's been with me all week is just this idea that the problems that we have in trying to figure out vocation of the practices, it is the most difficult one to preach about, and it's probably the hardest one to really unpack, only because I think we just don't have a real good understanding of what it is. So all week I've just been saying, God, show me what to say about vocation so that it clicks so that it clicks because you hear people talk about vocation and they talk about calling and they talk about, you know, is my job my vocation and and what is my purpose? And I apologize to all of you millennials on behalf of all of us people who gave you that whole purpose-driven life thing and told you that you were supposed to figure out your purpose in life and go through life and once you find it, then you're good to go, right? And there are 9.8 million people who have viewed Steve Jobs' commencement speech wherein he says that the only thing that you can do in life since you spend most of your life working is to, to have great work. And the only way to have great work is to love your work. But what do you say to the person who does not love their work? And what do you say about calling and vocation to the person who is working a job to be able to feed children that he loves? And what are you going to say to that person who's making minimum wage? This is your calling. This is your vocation. They don't love their work, but they love those children that they're feeding every day. And they love that wife that they're supporting. And that woman loves those babies that she's taking care of. And this family loves one another. And you may not love this job that you have over here because it makes no money. Or you may adore this job and this work over here that's making no money. And then somebody is telling you, well, it's just not it. I think vocation of all the practices is the one that, the, that God has worked with me the most on. I am here because this is vocational for me. I am in this place because of my vocation, because of God's calling on my life. But I don't want you guys to think that vocation is a position or that vocation is simply behavior. When you think about vocation, think about the word itself. Vocation comes from the Latin vocari, which means to call. So you hear people talk about a calling all the time. But let's just make it even simpler because it's not this noble thing where somebody hits you on the head while you're in bed at night and says, you are called to be A, B, or C. This is what you're going to be. And then God shows you this great vision of where you're supposed to go with your life and what you're supposed to do with it. But the word actually simply means to call and vocation is simply your response to the call of God. God calls you answers. It's a dance. It's a call and a response. It's a dance. It's a thing that we do when we hear God. Well, what that does when we see vocation in those terms of calling and response is that it includes a whole lot of things in vocation. Like marriage. 
singleness, like work, like your job. It could include your hobby. It could include the way you do missions. At the end of the day, vocation is simply our response to what God has said to us about us and wants to say through us in the world. It really is that simple. That is simply vocation. And so as we look at vocation, and I work really hard to kind of keep us on a clock because people have lunch to eat and brunch to get to and kids to take care of and all that other good stuff, I want us to really fix ourselves into this idea that vocation as a practice is something that doesn't just change us and something that doesn't just keep us as a faithful presence in the world, but it also is a thing that helps us be fruitful in the world. So let's look at vocation. I was thinking about the fact that the cover story in Christianity today is about vocation. God of the second shift. When we talk about faith and work, why are two-thirds of workers missing? And then there's a story about how people who live their lives in the working class and are making minimum wage and are struggling to get by don't want to hear somebody talk to them about finding fulfillment in your work and how we've just had struggles about how it is we're supposed to do all of these things in this world. But I was thinking about just this idea of call and response, and, and I thought, you know, the simplest picture of this was, well, first, let's just talk about what home base is. Let's look at the passage first. It's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I know I'm all over the place this morning, but we're going to get there. Paul says in Ephesians, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's this prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Not yet. So when we're looking at this idea of calling, the first calling is a calling to God. The first voice is the voice of God. The first response is a response to God. Because the reason this matters is that every other calling in your life is supposed to be shaped and empowered by that first call. That first call is the call that matters. Because if you listen to that call and you move in that call and your life is shaped by that call, then what that call does is everything else, it might not be easy, but it gets simpler. 
it absolutely gets simpler. So take your life for a second and think about the fact that I, I hear Eric tell stories about how he and Mia got together and the two of them have been married now for how many years? 22 years the two of them have been married, right? Amazing. And I would, I would ask how often you think to yourself, Eric, there's no way this 22 years could have happened were it not for that. And Lord knows Mia says that. <laughs> I, I'm your friend, Eric, and I know Mia says that. Every day, she's like, Lord Jesus, <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for being Jesus in my life so that I can be wife to Eric Knox. But I know Eric says the same thing. And then when you look at your children and you look at how you parent them, you could not parent them except for the fact that Jesus was there to take care of those things. And Eric said something to me one day. He was asking me if, um, if he should bring Ian somewhere with me when I was talking to him about going to a particular place. And I said, oh, yeah. He goes, do you think it would be good for Ian? And I said, well, yeah, I think it might be pretty good. You should ask him. He said, no, 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 Michelle, you don't understand. Ian grows up in a black house. If I say Ian's going and that it's good for Ian, it's good for Ian and Ian is going. <laughs> he, said, he said, so no, I'm not going to ask Ian if he's going to go. You're going to tell me if it's good for Ian and I'm going to tell Ian he's going to go and Ian's going to go. And it's going to be that simple. That is vocation, people. <laughs> that is what vocation looks like. God tells you something and you respond. Vocation is not resume. Vocation is relational response to God. That is what vocation is. At the end of the day, it really is that simple. A lot of you go to jobs you cannot stand and you deal with people you do not like and you want to say stuff you should not say, but you don't because God says, I need you to be a faithful presence in this place. And I need you to be a faithful witness in this place. All right? I got an amen over here. Can I get an amen out here? Vocation looks from time to time like black church. Mike Dean, come up here. I need you to do something with me. Vocation looks like black church from time to time, all right? Now, when I used to go to church, now here, most of you all know me, most of you know me, those of you who don't know me, I come to Imago, and every Sunday I say, good morning, Imago, when I have to preach, and then you all say, right, but most of the time you don't say it like that. (laughs) Most of the time you go, and three-fourths of you are not talking because you haven't had your coffee, right? And so then I have to say to you, Good morning, Imago. And then you say, and then it sounds like that. But it's always like a couple times that I got to do this. And then when I'm up here and I'm preaching and I'm talking to you guys and I say something to you, I usually, I'm not your average. My my running joke is that I usually can't get arrested at a black church because I just don't preach like a black preacher. I just don't. It's just, it's, I'm just me. I'm corny, regular me. That's who I am. And I'm okay with that, by the way. I don't really have a problem with that. I'm fine. So when you hear me say something like, you have no idea 
why I love God the way I do. Some of you who know me have heard me say that, and it will get me choked up, and I think about just how good he's been to me and how much I love him and the things that he's done in my life and how he's poured in and what he's protected me from and all of those things, and you'll hear me say that. You have no idea why I love God the way I love God. But if I were in black church, I would be saying, you don't know. See, now he didn't do it. I'd be saying, you don't know. Like I know what God has done for me. Let me tell you, you have no, you don't know. Can I get an amen? Now. This is vocation. He follows me because he has an idea of where I'm going because of what I'm saying. You follow me because I say something to you and I expect you to respond. I say, can I get an amen? Amen. That's call and response. That's vocation. This is how I need you all to think about your lives in vocation. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay. I'm done being a black preacher now. Thank you, Mike D. See, I realize that you all don't have a grasp of vocation because you haven't been to black church. So I needed to help you out today so that you would know just how simple this is. That vocation is not this complicated. I got to sit and throw up an ox on my kitchen table and burn it up so that the Holy Spirit would come down and tell me what I'm supposed to do for a living with my job and all this other stuff. That is not vocation. Vocation is call and response. It is a dance we do. As the people of God in the first call is the call to be the people of God. The first call is to him. The first call is to that relationship. Then all other calls are shaped and empowered by that. In Paul's prayer, he says that his desire is that we would know God and that we would be empowered by him to do the things that we need to do in this world. He says the power that he's put in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, how many of you think about the fact that you walk through your life with the power that raised Jesus from the dead coursing through your veins? How many of you actually think about the fact that that is the power that causes you to close your mouth when you want to cuss somebody out? That that is what causes you to actually be able to say to somebody who wants to sleep with you if you're single, no, I'm sorry, but my body is not mine to give to you, that causes you to stand up as a faithful witness and resist the things that the world is trying to call you to in terms of your career and how you spend your money. I think about the fact that I was in television making a ton of money and quite comfortable in my life and the Holy Spirit called me into ministry and when I told the pastor who I was going, where I was going to church, this is what God has called me to. He said, no, he didn't. You miss God. You didn't hear God. God wants you to be a television writer and make a whole bunch of money and tithe me four, you know, five figures every year. That's what God wants from you. He didn't say those words, but I could feel that. <laughs> and look, 
It looks like God sometimes when you're making good money. It looks like God sometimes, and sometimes it is. It looks like God sometimes when you are moving up the corporate ladder, and sometimes it is. It looks like God when that guy who's incredibly successful asks you to marry him, and sometimes it is. But sometimes it isn't. And if you are not into that first call, if you have not made your way to to incline your ear to hear that first call, you don't know, do you? You don't know. Because here's the thing you got to know today. God ain't the only one calling you. Babylon calls you every day. The culture is calling you every day. And what the culture is calling you to is something other than God. God is relational. God is empowering. He is calling you to what is not God. And so Babylon calling always looks like a call to self. It looks like how successful am I? How awesome is my bank account? How good do I look? How many people care about me? How much power do I have? What am I doing out in the world? What kind of a hero, as Sarah said, what kind of a hero am I going to be in somebody's life? The call of Babylon is the call to self. And so while we are changed, we're only changed for the benefit of self. And while we might be a a presence, we're not fruitful. We might just be productive. And so the more we produce, the better we look. The call of Babylon is not necessarily to resist, but to have control and power and safety or pleasure. The call of Babylon is a call to self. And that call is happening 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But if you don't recognize the first call, that call to him, that call to intimacy, that call to relationship. And if your life is not a relational response to God, then it is the call of Babylon on your life. So what does vocation look like? Now, I can't necessarily say what it looks like for most married people. I can only say what it looks like for me as a single person. I am changed by my relationship with God. So much so that it changes the way I do things. It changes the way I talk. It changes the way I handle bad news. It changes the way I relate to every human being in my life. It changes what I will say and what I won't say. What I will do and what I won't do. It shapes the things that I do in my life because I have this relationship. And it is why I can say you don't know like I know. And so what happens when you have this relationship to God, obedience is a very interesting thing because most people think obedience is about behavior, right? It isn't. Obedience is simply a relational response to God. Every time God says, commands us to do a thing, or every time God expresses a desire that he has, it tells us something about who he is. And when we obey or when we comply with the desire, what we're saying is, I see that about you, and I honor it. That's what obedience is. So when you have that relationship with God, 
What we're saying is when he guides you to a particular place, a particular area in your life, or he guides you away from a particular relationship or away from a particular way of being, or you have an understanding and you're trying to resist the urge and he's saying, yeah, but I need you to do this over here. And then you, every time you move in that direction, you say, I see you, God, and I honor you. It's the equivalent of black church when the pastor says, can I get an amen? And you say, amen. So what if our lives were an amen? What if our lives were a way of saying, I see you, God, and I honor you. I see you, and I honor you. I see that, and I honor it. I see that man who wants to sleep with me, but I was bought with a price. I see you, and I honor that. So no. I see you, God, and I honor you. So I started thinking about the, um, the letters to the seven churches, and one of the things that Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, he says, he says, to the angel of the house at Laodicea, right? And then he says, I am the amen. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm the amen. In other words, God said, can I get an amen? And Jesus said, amen. God said, I love these people. Jesus said, I see that and I honor that. That was vocation. Jesus said, I will go on a cross and I will die. I think it not robbery to be one with you, but I see that love you have for them and I honor it. So I will die on a cross. I'll be your amen. So if we make that decision to be the amen, in the world. What does that look like vocationally? What does it look like in your job? For some of you, it looks like staying in the job that you're in so that you can care for your family. Amen. For somebody, it looks like getting out of a job that is paying very well because God has called you to another place. Amen. For one woman that I met a couple of weeks ago, it looked like leaving a very lucrative job in advertising to be a teacher because she said, God has called me to that. And then she said, God called me from the church I was in to go to Imago Day. She walked in the door and started listening to the practices. She said, amen. So what's your amen? For some single woman, it's being single for now. Amen. For some guy, it's getting rid of that girl who don't mean you no good. Amen. For some husband, it's being faithful to his wife. Amen. Amen. And amen. For somebody, it's turning the TV off and not watching porn. For somebody else, it's being faithful where you are. Amen. And amen. And amen. Babylon is calling us. The question I have for you today is whether or not you are going to, with your life, answer Babylon or answer the call of God. For somebody, you don't hear God. Somebody is saying, I don't know what he sounds like. I don't hear him. Start with the gospel. Start with love. Start with your Bible. If you don't think you hear him, I promise you, everything you understand is a function of the Holy Spirit in you. Because the Bible tells us we can't understand the things of God except that the Spirit of God lives in us. Start with that. 
Start with that. Start with whatever it is you see and say, you know what? I see that, God, and I honor it. Amen. Somebody's asking, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I get it wrong? What if I don't understand it? What if I'm trying to live out this idea of vocation and I get it wrong? God is not hiding behind a closet going, I told them, but I whispered. And so now they're going to go in that direction and fall off a cliff. That is so funny. God is not doing that to us. He knows what you did hear and he knows what you didn't hear. He knows you're scared. He knows you're worried. But here, let me tell you this. What if I got it wrong is all about you and whether or not you can be right. That's what the Holy Spirit's for, right? You don't want to put him out of work. We're humans. We mess up. We do. But our faith is all about whether or not we believe we heard God. So as we walk through this life and we think about our vocation and we think about what it means to be the amen, to be the answer to what God says in the world, to be changed by that first call, that first vocation, that first need to belong to him and allow every other vocation to be shaped by it. I think the struggle that we have in churches with vocation is that we're trying to zero in on vocation in a way that it looks the same for everybody, and it doesn't. For somebody, it looks like traveling to Africa and then saying, but wait a second, I can't go to Africa this week. I've got to work at my job this week, make this much money, stack my chips so that I can go to Africa. All of that is vocation. That job that made that money, that made that plane ticket, that made that trip, that did that work, all of that is vocation. But that looks different from somebody else who might say, I just need to care for my children and care for my family. So my desire for this church and the thing on my wall that I pray for is the same prayer that Paul prayed for in Ephesians 3. And it is my prayer for this church, that we would be a listening church, that we would be a church that loves God. I can, passage, Ephesians 3, thank you. (laughs) For this reason, Paul said, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know, that love, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. That's up on the wall in my office. Because that is my prayer for Imago Day. Because if we can understand this, if we can heed that first calling, if we can hear that first I love you from God, if we can see that first thing about the gospel and understand what it meant that he said, that Jesus said amen to God and the Holy Spirit said amen to Jesus and all of them are saying amen to the Father. If we could get in on a little bit of that and live our lives like that, then we become 
what God says to us when he looks at us. And he says, you were born in my imagination where I hid you till I bid you come. From my desire sprang you fearfully and wonderfully and under my care fully, covering the whole but lovering the soul. I ignited that light in you. I offer lift to the flight of you. I delight at the sight of you. That the might of you might one day impart to me your heart, for mine became yours the day it bore you in my imagination. Amen? Let's pray. God, make us the amen. Make us the embodiment out in the world of who you've called us to be. Move by your spirit in this house. Make this house a place where People will come and they will hear you and they will know you and they will know your love, not just because somebody got up here and preached a sermon, but because vocationally out in the world, these men and women and children and families and single people, single men and women, that we all got out in the world and said, this is what God says to me. I say it to you. I thank you, Lord, for this house. I ask you to bless this pastor and all these pastors. I ask that by your spirit you would move in and through these people. And I ask you, Lord, that as they come to this table to partake of your body and blood and take in communion as one as a church, that we would remember and that we would know the love that you have for us and that with our lives we would say, I see that, God, and I honor you. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.